0: and welcome to She Geeks Out, a podcast where we geek out about all the things. I'm Rachel. And I'm Felicia. All right. I think it's happening. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Felicia. Hey, and Bari. Hi, Bari. <laughs> hi. So, yes, <yeah>, so Bari, <laughs> Bari A. Williams, head of legal at Human Interest, um, We are so excited to have you here. You have had such an amazing journey. I'm not even going to go through all the things because we can include it in the show notes, but I would love you to just um, tell us a little bit about what your journey has been like, what you're doing these days. I know that in addition to serving at Human Interest, you're also a DEI advisor, advocate. You are an author. You're just doing all the things. um, What does
1: DEI um, stand for? Diversity diversity and Inclusion. inclusion.
0: So, I always, yeah, I always I always all the things. <laughs> <And> <laughs> you didn't... like
2: you're doing all the things. I was raised by a single mother who was a public school teacher, mm-hmm. predominantly yeah, uh, in East oakland. and my my mother and my grandmother were both public school teachers in that area. And they chose that area because they wanted the kids to see people that looked like them
1: mm-hmm.
2: and that represented them. And so my mom would bring kids home for Christmas, Thanksgiving, birthdays. will buy presents, and I was like, "Who was that?" And they're like, "Oh, this is so and so from sixth grade." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, and <laughs> great, fantastic." Also, those people now find me on Facebook, which is weird. <laughs> like, it's wonderful, just, but it's also super weird. I don't know you. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't know her. <laughs>
0: one of my
2: all-time favorite memes but it I mean but it's it's sweet because to me it's like it it is just more impetus to see like that my mother has had impact on other people yeah and she's had a ton of impact on me she's had a ton of impact on my own kids but like it's literally random people who will stop me on the street or will find me on social media and say hey is your mom this person and i'm like yeah she like she was so wonderful she was my sixth grade teacher i loved her Mm -hmm. please tell her how wonderful she was and how impactful she was Mm -hmm. and that means so much to me because i saw it but also like you know i was also like a 12 year old girl who was like i don't like you so it's (laughs) right to see somebody say no no she was wonderful while you were a 12 year old girl and you didn't like her
0: it's like, like, well let me tell you what happens at home when she yells at me because i didn't clean up my room
2: <laughs> right it was like she told me i didn't wash that dish well <laughs> and, but she but she, she is wonderful like literally she came over here on friday and last friday in like a hazmat suit and mm-hmm. a whole like mask and thing and like rang the doorbell and ran and dropped off food
1: oh. but like that's what I mean that's what grandmas do I guess I don't and in pandemics I don't know <laughs> well it's great that, that you both live close to each other still that yeah she's like that. 10 minutes away which is wonderful and where are you based
2: Bari so I was born raised and still live in Oakland California nice wow and it has changed just a little
1: bit probably little, just a little smidge <laughs> yeah you know. it's crazy what part have you noticed with oakland because i it's oh, it's, yeah. it's so huge and there's just there's a lot and there's all the the gentrification and sprawl that yeah that has been um
2: the most interesting part for me i think is um even so when my parents were married uh, we still had we lived we still lived in East Oakland, but we lived in a really nice house in East Oakland. It was like six bedrooms, four bathrooms. We had a sauna and steam room and a pool and blah blah blah. Mm. And mm-hmm, sounds nice. That's and sound then nice. <laughs> I was like, cool, <laughs> right? Never, it sounds it sounds good. And then my parents got divorced, and we and me and my mom. Like my mom, when they got divorced, she was like. I'm fine leaving with nothing. And we lived in a two bedroom apartment. And it was East the Oakland. two of you. And it was mm-hmm. the two of you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And which was quite different.
1: And how how old were you when that <laughs> happened?
2: Um. When well, my parents got divorced, I think I was three. So I don't ever okay. actually remember them living together. Mm-hmm. But um, I definitely noticed the distinction between going back and forth. And it's hard to describe what feels like a home, but I would say like the ambiance and what people do there is what feels more like a home than having a larger place to be, if that makes sense. Totally. And so I always felt like my home was wherever my mother was and I still feel like that. So like, I don't feel like my own house is a home because like (laughs) no one is cooking. Um, But (laughs) but, yeah, we try. Um, But it was just very different. And seeing Oakland now is, and what's also interesting is my husband is also from Oakland too. And we met in the eighth grade. And his concept of Oakland is pretty much the same as mine. And it's just so interesting to see like the old Sears building was like going to be the Uber building. And now it's not, and now it's co-working and it's other things and and that's all fine. And, and we don't begrudge people moving in and, and building the economy, but the larger issue is, like, are you hiring people who are in and of that community to work yes, in that economy? Right. And you're not. What you're doing is you're just pushing them further out. That's right. And that's my issue. Is is you know I I am I, I, literally I, in and of this community and a product of it from the public schools and then I went to a private high school and then I went to Cal and I'm like I've never left and my thing is like I, that that is what I care about the most is like being here and making sure other people can build here
1: and that isn't what I see. I a million percent agree with you. Felicia has heard me rant about in Boston with Roxbury, it's the same, like yep. you can see that happening as well. And you know, in any major city you can see that. So I guess the question is, um, what do you think are some ways because I think you know what we see is we see a lot of companies wanting to try to address the issue and have a more diverse team and and think about ways, but you know they always talk about the pipeline problem, which is not <laughs> it's not a thing. And um, so so the question is is how do you get them to re reimagine what their workforce looks like in yeah, a real way?
2: I I think first off you need to come to Jesus. <laughs> because it, love it. I'm just saying, like it it, it isn't a pipeline problem. Because yep. if people and I said I've said this on not just this podcast, but many other podcasts in every talk I've ever given. If you really care about hiring diverse talent, why are people not going to Alabama A and T? Why are people not going to North Carolina A and T? The A&T literally stands for agriculture and tech. <laughs> what are you doing? Why mm-hmm. are we here? Mm-hmm. My husband, he is a lovely person.
0: <laughs> I'm sensing a but.
2: <laughs> You're right. But um, we're just from different socioeconomic worlds. Uh, and that's okay. But part of that is the accessibility and access and things that he has seen that I haven't been able to see because my grandparents, my dad's parents were sharecroppers from Vicksburg, Mississippi. They had third grade educations. They didn't know what the fuck they were like, what? They're like, what is tech? Bitch, I can't read. What are you talking about? Like, (laughs) and For him, his grandparents, his grandfather was president of Tuskegee for like 35 years. The engineering building at Tuskegee is named after his grandfather. It's the foster building. (laughs) But I'm saying like, if that is the type of talent that you want, you have to go get it. It's not gonna be in your backyard. It's not gonna be in the places where you would think to look or where it's comfortable to look. It's not at Berkeley. It's not at Stanford. It's not at MIT. If those are the places that you're going, you're just gonna get more of the same, which is white men. It's not even white women. You're gonna get white dudes. And that's fine if that's what you want. But like, let's just be clear that that's what you want. Right. So how do they
1: get the come to Jesus moment? Well, how does that happen? You just need to come. Oh, okay. (laughs) The doors of the church are open. (laughs)
2: okay but it's it's one of those things where it's really i I have said this to people and and they're like oh well where do i find this talent and i'm like here and give a list Mm -hmm. and you either choose to use the list or don't right and if you choose to not use the list you really don't want it but let's be clear that you really don't want it Mm -hmm. let's not like you want it and you just didn't find it
0: yeah, we, we do uh, a lot of, I mean, it's definitely evolving, obviously, because of current situations and, and affairs of the pandemic, but we do all of these events and networking designed to connect women and people who identify as, you know, basically non-white men with companies who want to hire them, yep, and, yep. you know, and it's just such a pet peeve for both of us, where these companies will say oh we just can't find anyone and it's like no they're literally you're just not yeah, exactly. you not We're, working
2: where they are and
0: that, to me, that's
2: the larger issue is it, it is not that you can't find them it's that you don't want to look outside of your comfort zone and your mm-hmm. comfort zone is stanford berkeley mit georgia tech and whatever and that's not where you're going to find them and, and for the bigger piece to me, and this is the way that I typically try to appeal to them to come to Jesus, is if you are doing this based off of data, if you just look at the stats of who attends these schools and who attends them and what particular majors that you're recruiting for, you're, you can see already there are not going to be women. There are not going to be people of color. And so
1: why are you looking there? Look somewhere else,
0: mm-hmm.
1: period. Right. It's it's a tricky thing because, you know, I think people think, oh, only the, and I'm using air quotes here, the best people are from these schools. And what I think is super Child, interesting too- you know too, who else says the best people? Oh, yes, the I president. know. The president. Yes, he's- <laughs> The worst He's not mine but that's he's got fine. people out here dying in the pandemic. He so. sure does. Um but what's really interesting about what's happening now um I mean higher ed has already been struggling I think over the past few years but I do wonder if this pandemic will uh, heighten that as well and and realize that people need to think outside of, you know, a college degree for a lot of the work. Yes. <laughs> so. That's the other thing is like
2: everybody who is qualified to do this type of work isn't necessarily getting a four-year degree Mm -hmm. and so what about those people who are doing you know they are taking classes and they're learning how to code but they don't have a degree like are you open to that and some people say yes but then you look at their hiring stats and it's like, "Mm, you say yes, but your stats say no. Mm -hmm. So what, what is it really?
0: Yep. Yeah. It's so interesting. I think I was just talking about this this morning with someone, how it'll be really fascinating to see what systems get broken down in this sort of post-pandemic world yep. and which ones get continued on. Yep. Um, I went to a really small liberal arts college in Pennsylvania and they just announced uh, yesterday. What is it? I think it's called Haverford College. Oh, yeah.
2: college. I went to, uh, yeah, I, I did a master's at UCLA with somebody that went there.
0: Oh, very nice. Oh, Usually yeah, people are like, now professor. Did, you, did you mean to say Harvard? I'm like, No, I didn't say Harvard. Right. <laughs> <Yeah, ever. laughs> didn't slur my own college name, but yes, um, I had a great time there. I love it. Uh, they just announced yesterday that they're going to be doing away with the requirement to have an SAT or ACT score wow. incoming yeah, class for this awesome. fall, which I, I thought was that. so interesting because I'm like, Yeah, why? have we been putting these barriers in place and these are artificial barriers that we are putting like these are social constructs right i think this pandemic is just laying bare how much is built on these artificial things that we have created that are just made up and not necessarily like we don't have to have certain ways of being or certain ways of doing and that's just one example of course there's gonna be much much more in my
2: own house to a certain extent and (laughs) that It's going to sound crazy, but, um, so I went to Berkeley undergrad mm-hmm. and, um, I had a boss who asked me, did I go to Berkeley on affirmative action? Mm. Shout out to that guy. Cause you were at Facebook and I'm going to say that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, it, but, and my dad also went to Berkeley and he did go on affirmative action. I didn't actually. So I was like, I, I actually didn't, <laughs> but my dad did. And just as I told him now, I was like, it, it doesn't matter whether I went on affirmative action or not. If I didn't get the grades, I I can't stay in the school. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't matter.
1: Well, you mentioned Facebook and I'm curious to hear about the, your, the program that you worked the facebook supplier diversity program yeah that something that yeah can you talk about that oh
2: that was so a passion project um oh i still get like misty-eyed about it so um when i was at facebook i was there doing legal work for drones satellites and lasers had absolutely nothing to do with supplier diversity um But I remember sitting, like the first day in orientation, they have, um, she's now the global uh, diversity person, Maxine. And she would come in and she does this talk and it was great. And two days later, I kind of like slept on it and thought, and I was like, hey, are you guys doing anything about suppliers? And she was like, no. And, but she was real like, uh, uh, who has time for that? And I was like, okay. Because at that time though, it wasn't that she necessarily didn't want to do it or think about it. It was just, it was two people Mm -hmm. in 2014. So they were just concentrating on employees. And I saw another pivot. I saw another opportunity Mm -hmm. and, Facebook has this poster where it says nothing at Facebook is anybody else's problem and so I asked her and I said hey would well, would you be interested in this and she said we would love to do this but we don't have the we don't have the bandwidth and I was like okay and she's like but if you want to do it have at it now I don't know if that was a challenge like uh, no you ain't gonna be able to do this or <laughs> or it was a challenge like okay, let's see what you can do. Mm-hmm. But for me, I don't look at stuff like that. I, I just was like, okay, well, I'm passionate about this and I think this is worthwhile. I want to do it. And
1: I did it for two years. Can you explain what, for the listeners, like what the supplier diversity program? Yes. Was? So supplier diversity
2: is the idea that you can't hire everybody that wants to work for you. And also not everybody wants to work for you. They want to have their own companies and they want to build their own business and they want you to be a customer. And so that's how I looked at it. Um, and that was built off of the back of the fact that my dad had his own business and my father-in-law had his own business. And so I'm looking at this from the standpoint of like, these are two black people who had their own businesses that were supplied supplied uh, with customers from, large corporations and so it's like okay well how do you facilitate that and make that something that is a larger initiative and the other piece which was hugely important to me was okay well how do you also combat gentrification and the fact that you are buying up real estate in east palo alto and menlo park where black and brown people live And you're displacing them because they can't live here any longer because you're rising the rents. And that to me was very important. So I spent two years working on that initiative, um, went through every supplier that Facebook had and marked them. Are you a woman? Are you a person of color? Are you LGBTQ? Are you a veteran? Are you differently abled? Oh, you don't fit none of those? okay, then you get put in this bucket. And like, then how can we go about having RFPs for people who fit in these buckets? Mm-hmm, right. Like that to me is what I cared about. And it, and it was like, okay, let's go low hanging fruit first, right? Like swag, marketing, HR, mm-hmm. whatever. But how can we do that? Because that's what's important. And the best feeling i i've i've had i feel like i've ever had professionally was we did um the first like black employee day at facebook and everything was catered by black people Mm. the photo booth the wine was from brown (laughs) Mm. the the food everything the dj everything was like black 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 so great because it's black employee day so and i just was like this is and that was a moment where i felt like okay if i'm ready to leave i can leave wow and i left two months later
0: (laughs) wow like my my work here is yeah i was like okay (laughs) mic drop moment
2: (laughs) yeah it's like i i launched the program we hired three people to work in the program. And so I, and also that was a very validating moment for me to be like, I still was doing my whole day job as a lawyer and then was still doing the work of three people that you ended up hiring <laughs> for this program. Oh, so I did the work of four people. Okay, cool. <laughs> when did Done. you leave, when did you leave Facebook? Um, it, Around, it was around New Year's. Oh, recent. It was New Year's, no, no, not recent. New Year's 2007. Oh, no,
0: that's not recent. (laughs) No. Well, yeah, because in between Facebook and human interest, you've been at Stuff Pub, um, you were at All Turtles, and we've had some other steps along the way. So I was chatting with this guy this morning. He works for a really large bank, and they were talking about, we were talking about supplier diversity and how the challenging aspect of it Mm -hmm. um, with regard specifically to LGBTQ. Uh, suppliers and vendors is that unlike some of the other identity groups that are out there where you can get certified, you can have, you know, sort of um, ways to audit that, that's a little bit more nebulous. in the it's sense.
2: The, that yeah, it's different. It's,
0: it's more like opting in. There's a lot of other stuff around that. Depending on where in the world you are, that could have a lot of ramifications legally. And so we were chatting about, you know, kind of the The challenges with trying to support programs like this at larger organizations where you want to help you want to lift up and you want to give business to these, these vendors, but it's all it's, you know, it's such a weird Sometimes very intricate conversation around, you know, tell me all your all your identities and then that's not Mm -hmm. going to get you the business, but it's going to be another aspect as to how how do we decide the great companies that we're working with and I'm curious if if that sort of conversation ever came up at Facebook uh, with regards to that sort of like it
2: didn't and I will say like you know people give Facebook a lot of slack for a lot of different things and even I have like and the stuff the articles that I've written I cite them a lot and my experience there a lot and it wasn't all fantastic but what I will say is they never, ever, ever questioned me on this program. And it's because they understood the value of it and they understood what it meant if they didn't do it. And um, I would say that's also imperative for listeners to understand that if you want to advocate for something like this, the biggest thing that I do, I do not advocate from a it's the right thing to do standpoint. because. Mm-hmm don't nobody care about that they they say they care about that but they don't actually really care about that if you tell people how much money they will lose or how much money they will gain by doing or not doing something that is what makes them make a decision and I led with that I did not say this is the right thing to do and it feels good I said look This is the buying power of these groups. This is how much money these groups spend on the platform in terms of ads. If you don't want to cater to them, then don't. But if you don't, this is how much money you will lose. Mm -hmm. And it literally took, I was in that room for 15 minutes. (laughs) And they were like, here, here's money. (laughs) go do stuff that's the other thing is like people need to understand and not take us for granted and by us i mean women people of color lgbtq veterans differently able folks people who are intersectional oh y'all got even more power like don't let people tell you different
0: I'm curious with regards to intersectionality and, you know, you, you touched on a lot of different things um, up to this point, but uh, in your experience at all the different organizations that you've been at, have you seen that companies are having these conversations thinking with that intersectional lens or is it still more like, no, Oh, we want to support them. women meaning white woman or we want none to. Of them.
2: Yeah. I, I can them. say definitively none of them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I don't mean that.
2: say that they're not trying Mm -hmm. but and i think maybe it just may be a different strategy in the sense that it could be something where they're taking one thing at a time and that's a strategy right some people try to do you know black people women lgbtq you try to do it all at the same time and it may not work and i think for a lot of people they're just trying one thing at a time however huge asterisks the bigger issue is like the people who I see are doing that and they're doing one thing at a time they're doing white women right at a time and like diversity is not white women like it it just isn't and I went to oh now it's almost two years ago I went to the fortune brainstorm tech conference and I remember, I think it was the CEO of, Oh man, what's the restaurant cup? Is it open door, open table, something. But she stood up and she was like, this is my take on diversity in the last year. And it was all about white women. Mm. And she got up there and she did her whole spiel for 15 minutes and when she was done, they were like, does anybody have any questions? And I was like, (laughs) so I got up and I was like, this is all about white women. I don't see anything reflected in my experience in here. I don't see anything reflected about LGBTQ people's experience in here. I don't see anything about people who are differently abled in here, like nothing. Mm -hmm. This is white women. So, like, if that's how you're defining diversity, like, let's be clear that that's how you're defining it. But, like, don't get up here and say, oh, diversity is great and it's working because that don't look like nothing I know about.
1: So I'm curious, what advice would you give to companies who are trying to figure this stuff out, especially ones that maybe aren't resourced to do so, or maybe they're, you know, they've just gotten VC funding and now they're like, oh, we can hire all these people, but we have all this pressure. Like what what advice would you be give? Be honest. I would just say the
2: first thing that you need to do is be honest. And it's not even that you need to be honest with the public but be honest internally because a lot of people are just, they're just not honest internally. Like you say that you're focusing on these things and you're actually not. And you just need to come to Jesus (laughs) with that. Like, yeah, I said, we're focusing on black people, but we're not. We're really focusing on white women. Okay. Say that. But that's the thing is like, if people understand what you're focusing on and if you have a strategy, that's fine. Work the strategy. But you also have to be very cognizant and clear that the strategy is, okay, we're focusing on white women first. Then we're moving to black people. Then we're moving to Latinx people. They're moving to LGBT, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. But you have to be honest about that. And people just, for whatever reason, they can't be. And I get that maybe there's an element of shame there because you don't want to feel like you're leaving people out.
1: What about, I, what, what about for people who are like, we want to do the work, but we need to convince people like they're, they're like, we're yeah. How do you, how do you move people? Cause some, you know, there's the data. numbers, but yeah. It's data. I, I will always and forever
2: say it's going to be a data-based argument. You're not going to move people based off of how they feel emotionally. I, I, and I know that people want to believe that that is a factor, and it may be. I, I'm just saying for me, in my entire 40 years of living on this earth, dealing with white people, that has not been a factor.
1: Well, you know what's so funny? I, I was blown away by a comment that somebody made that was talking in this in the same space. And he was saying like, the hard thing about the data is if companies were so moved by data, then they would already be doing it. Yes and no.
2: I say, I I say yes and no to that. And the reason why is to me, at least what I found the very easy pushback on stuff with that is like you make every other decision based on data. So here's data on this.
1: Right, right, right. No. And and that has worked for me.
2: I, I don't know, like, the person that you're referring to, maybe that hasn't worked for that person. Right. But I can say for me, I can point to you've made these last five decisions based on data. Here's the data
1: on this. Do something. And maybe it's not because there's always, we see all these articles and the HBR and everything and, and for whatever, and about like, look at the data, the data shows that, you know, more diverse board and more, da, da, da. But that isn't, necessarily translatable for a specific company so because I think maybe that's where the rub is is like sure you can point to data for in the macro yeah. but how do you tie it to for a specific company
2: I think it's also own about data. how do you how, well and I would also say to a certain extent who's the messenger right and the reason why I say that is I, I feel like one of the things that has actually made me a better lawyer is the fact that I don't speak legalese. I talk to people where they are. And I also, I've told people this before, when I draft things, I give it to my nine-year-old to read who's in Mm -hmm. fourth grade, or I give it to my 69-year-old mother. Mm -hmm. Either way, it's like, Neither one of these people are that tech savvy. <laughs> she's going to hate this when she hears it. Sorry, mom. But um, she's like, well, I don't
1: have an iPhone. I'm like, if she's, I mean, if she can hear the podcast, then she's at least a little bit yeah. tech savvy.
2: She finds everything. I don't even know how she does, but she somehow does. But she, but they're both tech savvy to an extent. And so if one of them doesn't understand it and the other one does, then I kind of go back and like, oh, maybe there are some things I need to tweak little things here and there. If neither of them understand it, I start over. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that for me, one of the reasons why I became a lawyer is black people were historically disenfranchised legally because people hid the ball from them.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And so my goal as an attorney, is to not hide the ball from anybody, period. Like, I don't want you to feel like you read something that I wrote and you're like, oh, I didn't know you were going to collect that type of information or you were going to do. I'm not doing, I don't want to do that. So for me, it's very important to be clear about what's the information we're collecting? Why are we collecting it? How are we using it? how can you decide that you no longer want it to be used Mm. and if i cannot explicitly articulate those four points Mm. i did it wrong and that's that that is my personal that that is my personal responsibility to me that's great
0: Mm -hmm. let's switch gears a little bit i want to talk about your new book that just came out Oh. Diversity in the workplace. (laughs) Eye-opening interviews to jumpstart conversations about identity, privilege, and bias. So I have not read this book yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. It's an interview book. You're highlighting 25 different people's stories. So how did this come about? How did you decide to write a book? How did you choose the people? Yeah. What's going on with this book? It just um, came out, right, like last month. Yeah, month of the, it, it literally <laughs> came out
2: on March 31st. And I was going to oh go God. and like sign books and do things. And then coronavirus was like, no, you're not. <laughs> um. Yeah, I'm so excited about it. And the reason why is like the 25 people I picked are like such interesting people. It isn't even anything I had to do. I just was like, tell me about yourself. Type type <laughs> type, type type, right? Um and all of them are also on Twitter and they're fantastic follows. Um but yeah, they are just fascinating like so it's segmented into five different categories um one is gender one is race uh one is age and ability one is uh religion and culture and the other is lgbtq Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and they're just fantastic phenomenal people and it was funny because i think i got like three interviews in and i called the editors and i said i don't know what you're gonna do in terms of how you decide where to put folks, because none of these people are
0: not intersectional.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't, I, where are you going
0: to put them? Right. It's kind of ironic, right? We talk about intersectionality and they are like, yeah, we oh, so just bucket everybody. <laughs> bucket everybody. Yeah, <laughs> <exactly>. <laughs> so I
2: had, I think what was interesting, there ended up being out of the 25 interviews and I even did some extra. I ended up doing 28 just in case. <laughs> and out of all of those only two were non-intersectional and they were both Asian men.
0: Oh interesting. Yeah
2: but um, their stories are still incredibly captivating like both of those Asian men one his parents were um, Christian Korean missionaries in Russia Mm -hmm. And then he moved to the US and moved to North Carolina and then he was like fully indoctrinated in black culture. And yeah, and yeah like it's...
0: <laughs> and I was like, like where do we even begin here?
2: <laughs> yeah, like where do we go here? Because <laughs> he's like, I love Jesus, but also like, where are the ribs? <laughs> <laughs> and then you have another guy who is born and raised in la and is chinese american but he was a minority in a majority minority school so he went to a school that was predominantly latinx and so he had a completely different experience than people who may have had an experience in a majority white school
1: that was my experience growing up That's yeah. me that's great <laughs> well i you wouldn't go. change
2: it for anything then you'll okay. like Edwin's story. Probably. <laughs> I'm
1: excited <laughs> to read it myself.
2: But yeah, it, it was super interesting. Like I, I, I picked the people because I thought that they all have very interesting personal stories to share.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, one of my favorites, and she is like a huge Twitter follow, but it, it's Charlotte Clymer. And Charlotte is trans and lesbian and was a veteran and is Christian and from Texas. And I was like, girl, you got everything.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Charlotte is a fascinating person to follow on Twitter. That's how I found you. I don't even know how I initially came across you, but I just started following you. And then I was like, oh, this like, you know, got, got stuff to say and then reached out and was like, let's get you on a podcast. But it's so interesting. Is is that how you found most of the people, or were there people that you knew no, already?
2: There are people that I already knew, um, and like there are two black women who are—I don't even remember which category the editor ended up putting each of them in—but they are Christian black women, and they both work in the spirits industry.
0: Mm, okay. And
2: their stories were about, you know, dealing with the fact that people are like, "How are you, Christian?" but you're in the spirits industry and then there was another one her whole her whole bit was like how are you Christian and a black woman so it, it's interesting it's kind of the same but different Um, and yeah so some of them I already knew some of them I had worked with previously some of them I have been friends with a long time some I found on Twitter Rabia who oh, uh
0: chowdhury
2: yes uh,
0: another her story
2: was fantastic
0: i it,
2: like i had been following her on twitter and then i just randomly was like hey would you be willing to do this and she was like yep and I was like, <laughs> oh but her story fantastic like she had she tells this whole story about how um because she does immigration and she was willing she had she'd written this brief which a judge was like totally open to and wanted to accept and then the couple she was doing it for was like "Ah, can somebody else come and present this and she was like what and they were like well you have the whole hijab thing like we just don't really want that Like, we think that that might make him not. And I was like, oh. Mm. And she was like, yeah, people do that to me all the time. Like, they don't want me to show up in court for them. They don't want me to openly represent them because I wear a hijab. And I was like, oh. And the reason why I was even interested in this topic is, um... My parents have a, had a very kind of Romeo and Juliet thing going. Um, My dad is, my, his parents were sharecroppers from Mississippi. They had third grade educations. Like they were barely literate and my mom's parents and my dad is dark skin. So let me just make that clear. (laughs) And my mom she's fair-skinned and her parents have master's degrees and my grandfather was like don't marry him now turns out he was right different reasons though <laughs> my dad is many things uh faithful is not one of them so oh boy <laughs> yeah so he was like uh, girl mine get too get. <laughs> yeah right <laughs> cheers <laughs> this, yeah. is water. this is I water know. but still like, a early
1: in the day <laughs> i know this
2: just water but still um but yeah he was like don't do that and she was like no i'm gonna do it and he was like mm, you're gonna be sorry and she was um but yeah i mean it was a very romeo juliet kind of thing and he ended up in college he decided to become Muslim. And that's why my name is Bari. It's Arabic. Mm -hmm. So I have a a Muslim parent and a Christian parent. I went to Catholic high school, but it was like, I, I think it's important for people to see that there's more than one flavor of life, whether that's you know being a certain religion or race or gender or ability and to me the ability part was really the thing that was most interesting at least for me
1: i love that um so we just have one more question for you which is one of our favorite questions that we love to ask which is what are you currently geeking out about that has nothing to do with pandemic work more pandemics, definitely no, <laughs> not pandemic related, unless it's something that's helping you cope.
0: <laughs> hmm. I will.
2: Oh, I think I'm geeking out about. Honestly, it sounds terrible, but like I really enjoyed Tiger King. I know <laughs> I should not have enjoyed it as much as I did, but it was hilarious, and like not always in a good way. Um. But Tiger, King, but sometimes you just need something that takes your mind off of everything else, and like off everything that's going. Yes, <laughs> everything that's going on right now, like Tiger King. That with well, that that woman who got her arm bitten off at the park, and he threw on an EMS bomber jacket before he called nine one one. I was like, okay. Yeah, I
0: think um, Rachel hasn't seen it. I have. When I was watching it with my fiance, we just kept looking at each other with. Yes, it just it just kept going down the rabbit hole, which is I think it was definitely a distraction for the couple days that we watched. It was
2: it was crazy, and so like I was watching it, and I was watching it alone. I didn't know anybody else watching it, and then um, my husband's cousins. He had like these two cut their brother and sister. And I was texting them. I was like,
1: have you guys watched Tiger King?
2: And the sister is younger and she's also much more vocal. she was like, no, but I'm going to start now. And then she did. And she texted me the next day and was like, what the hell is this? And I was like, it's glorious.
1: <laughs> you'll thank me later so i should tell you i'm part of this other slack community and there's a channel called uh underrated overrated where people will post something and so i think <laughs> i'm probably one of the last people that has not seen this so i was don't like need to
2: see all of it even you I see mean, like spark i, think I have never
1: I had <laughs> i have never had so many people talk about this sh- a show and people talk a lot about tv shows so in this it was like overrated underrated especially given it. they're like everyone was like not overrated like definitely not overrated like was, you still should it, watch it was bananas
2: <laughs> like literally i watched and i i was just i watched the first episode I was like mm, this is slow and then yeah. it came, and i was
0: like oh oh, just, oh wait i think i watched the entire thing it's like i don't even know how many episodes i watched the entire thing with just like my jaw open and it just yeah. kept dropping oh my God. It's not there. There's a lot of terrible people in it. It doesn't get into a lot no. It.
2: Literally, the, the funny thing I saw is like somebody wrote an, an article about it, and they said there's no protagonist. And I was like, yes, mm. that that's exactly it. There literally, there's no one to root for. I all think, these people are horrible. Yeah, they're all
0: horrible. But my fiance and I were laughing. We we're laughing so hard about it, is because one of the people who comes off the best in this entire documentary, oh, the dude with the five wives. No, not even him. It's the other guy on whom Scarface is modeled. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) He comes, this guy is literally the in-person, like, inspiration for Scarface, and he comes off as so normal Mm -hmm. and chill, and he's, like, literally the creation of this insane movie with, you know, Al Pacino or whatever. And that should
2: tell you (laughs) all you need to know, Rachel, because these people are crazy, and this person seems normal.
1: So here's the thing. I just wanted to take a look and see, like, of course, there's like an actual podcast dedicated to oh, this show.
0: Oh, yeah, no, it, and then episode. I haven't listen, seen it. We we I could go down this rabbit hole for hours, but I will say the podcast came out before the documentary. Oh, li- oh just so you all know, oh, I'm a right. huge murder fan. I listened to the podcast. I was in a really heavy period of travel last year and earlier this year, and I listened. I downloaded this podcast. I listened to it did not think it was that interesting <laughs> but i mean show, i definitely was like familiar yeah. with the with the story saw that it was a documentary saw people started freaking out about it and i was like i know the story started watching it was like yap yap and still was massively blown away that is because it's not even scratched the surface well definitely a, a a a valuable valid effort to be geeking out about <laughs>
1: 100%. Um,
0: thank you so much, Bari. This has been very enlightening and interesting. And, uh, and Yeah, hilarious. we
2: went all over the place.
0: <laughs> it was all fun. Over the place in the <laughs> best of ways. So appreciate you taking the time to podcast with us. And thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you. thanks to all our listeners for spending some time geeking out with us if you enjoyed listening please rate and review us on iTunes every review helps and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next interview
1: and tell all your friends new episodes drop every Tuesday (laughs) check us out she geeks out on all the things and in case you're wondering what those things are they are Twitter, Insta, FB otherwise known as Facebook LinkedIn and our website of course bye Rachel bye Felicia